and welcome to the Talking Tenets podcast. For any first-timers um, they are listening to the podcast, tenet, as we know, by definition means a principle or belief. And we aim to unpack the tenets of high performance in success, <clears throat> uh, in life and work. Um, today, we have a really interesting case study. Um, Jordan Barker joins us today from London, visibly a high performer, and somebody who's reached the elite level of his craft on more than one occasion. Um, a, prof- a former professional footballer, he holds a master's degree from Boston University, where he undertook studies as a scholarship student. <clears throat> He's one of the youngest leaders in SAS globally, in my view, based on experience, and currently serves as global head of customer success with acclaimed data science and analytics SaaS vendor, Alteryx. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thanks, John Joe. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on. It's a real pleasure. And for those listening, um, Jordan and I do go way back. We did, in fact, meet in professional football um, at Bradford City. So this, I can certainly say firsthand that high performance is in in his blood um, and what it's about. So I'm, I'm looking forward to kicking this one off and understanding how he's transitioned into the world of work. So I'll give you a little bit of an intro there, Jordan, but could you describe your, your current role for us? Absolutely. And uh, thanks again, John Joe, for having me on. So I'm the uh, global director of the digital customer success team. And really, my team covers around 7,000 customers across the globe for Alteryx, trying to really maximize their investment in, in Alteryx as a software vendor. Um, and we try and do that by partnering with them on their current objectives, um, but also partner with them to try and meet who that business is, is trying to become. Um, and maybe a, a little bit around the, uh, the the role at this moment in time is it's a relatively new position at Alteryx. And I'll speak a little bit later about my, my passions for, for building teams inside of the organization. But there's a there's a great opportunity for us to impact a lot of customers at this moment in time at Alteryx in, in this position. So customer success, post-sales, of course, previously you're in pre-sales, a really technical role. Is that a conscious decision um, and the way that Alteryx works in that that was um, a linear move for you. I mean, as, uh, perhaps we don't see so many pre-sales leaders moving into customer success. Is that a, is that a sign of the times or a sign of the the product? Talk us through that. Yeah, so I, I think there's there's been an emergence over the last couple of years into this uh, chief customer officer role, so a, a CCO role, particularly in a lot of SaaS companies. Uh, and their remit at the moment, I think, isn't quite defined. Being is it do they own the pre-sales cycle? To the end the post-sale cycle. But I am seeing from a lot of my, my peers uh, and a lot of my mentors in the industry that I've moved in that direction of where they're looking after the full customer journey. Uh, so end-to-end from, from the pre-sale cycle all the way to when, when a, a customer choose to, to terminate a contract. So this was definitely a, a premeditated move, in, in my opinion, to be able to understand the different customer perspectives when engaging with a, a software vendor like Alteryx. However, I do think in the, the SaaS space where it's so subscription and renewal heavy uh, in terms of particularly how public vendors like Alteryx report to the stock market in, in annual recurring revenue, the renewal side, which is where customer success plays a large role, making sure that they're getting the ROI of, of the investment they've made, um, becomes so crucial um, to the survival of those organizations. So. Uh, I, for me, the, the motivation was to, to get closer to that, to understand it better. 
Um, and um, it really is a, a different world to, to pre-sales. Um, uh, and I can elaborate on that a little bit later if, if you'd like me to. Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting. So that's a conscious um, career journey then. So you're picking up skills um, and aspects of the game from, from both sides so that ultimately your um, the position that you perhaps might end in, you've got the, the whole package and that gives you you know so much more to offer than um, a candidate who's perhaps at a more specialised background. Exactly, and and I think from from my perspective, in that particular role, you need an you need an appreciation of that that full cycle because I think then you've you you have some credibility with those individuals who you're looking at bringing in to support you along that customer journey because you will have individuals who really like pre-sales and they're great at leading pre-sales teams, and then you'll have individuals who are more in the post-sales, be that customer support, professional services, um, customer success. And if you bring those people in, then, then and, and you with that overarching vision of how you think it works, it can be really, really effective. Fantastic. And has that appreciation um, for this type of journey for your own career, has that come from a learning from your customers? Or is that something that, you know, a small portion of top performers in SaaS are starting to realize as a, you know, as a, a career pathway? Is it is it common or do you see it much? Um. I'd, I'd, I'd say that from a from a customer perspective, um, SaaS vendors in general are, I think, are having to become far more customer centric. Anyway, um, a lot of the conversations that I've had when in six years ago was a lot more. Tell me about your product, um, and then you know I'm in the self service market, so a lot of customers pick it up and, and run it themselves. However, with our, our shift to more of an enterprise uh, model. There's a lot more requests from the, the customer in terms of guiding them on what solutions they should be building, how can we align with their global objectives. Uh, and as a result, uh, we have to become more customer-centric than, than just talk about technology. So for, from my perspective, the, the rise of the CCO role uh, within the C-suite and the importance that it plays is, is really vital because it tries and marries the the business need, which may come from the, the CFO, um, may come from um, the different revenue generating streams um, uh, and the, the CRO, for example, um, uh, to the uh, more technical side of the house where we're actually doing the delivery, the support and, and trying to help the customer meet those meet those needs. Great. And this is a decision that you've, you've taken. Somebody who's obviously very, you know, conscious and proactive in the way they approach their career um do you see this as perhaps um a new way of onboarding and learning development for people who work in SaaS vendors do you feel that L&D might shift towards this type of um upskilling so that you get a more rounded do, do you think you know vendors will yeah, want to look, I, I, marry that from from my perspective right I, I i i happen just to you know, I'm ashamed to say it, but I happened just to fall into to data analytics. So I was I was doing my master's degree. You know, I was I was working with data. Uh, I was I was doing spatial analytics. But I think when you're when you're working in it, right, and you're used to used to working with it, you're not really you know you know you're more on that customer side. And and as a result, I I didn't really think it as what uh, data as I do today, right? A vehicle really to be able to drive um, customer insights and how can I progress this customer? It was all about me. So, you know, I use data to inform fo football tactics. Um, Boston was 
when I played there at, at university, a lot of it was um, video footage, GPS tracking, all of these pieces. And as a result, we were using data to make decisions on teams, informed my thesis so uh, and allowed me to work with the, the Boston University Police on some, some crime analytics. But it, it was all doing it to a, a means to an end. And I wasn't really connecting the dots until I moved to Alteryx and realized that if you can, if I could automate my thesis, which took me six months in you know, six weeks, um, I really saw the, the power of what software could do and, and data really in, in changing people's, people's lives. So I happened to fall into it, but I quickly realized that the power of what, what, what it could do. And, the, and, and as a result, I think then the industry just really happened to, mm. to blow up. And I was able to, to go on that journey with Alteryx from pre-IPO to, to public. And um, it, was, it was a great, great journey to be part of. Yeah. Tell us about that, that journey. Um, whereabouts you were and then yeah. how that unfolded? I mean, I, I, I joined, I was probably empl- around employee 100. So I went on a journey from about, uh, you know, $100 million revenue uh, a year business to, to around, we're about 650, 50 million uh, now. And when you when you go on that journey, you, you move from a, a startup, which is where you're, you're owning multiple hats, um, you'll jump on every single fire that's happening with customers, um, all hands on deck. And as you progress through that journey, you, you quickly you get more investment in, in supporting the customers. So you have more people doing specific types of draw jobs with, with particular specialties. So it becomes far more necessary to have cross-functional alignment and, and collaboration. But myself find, finding a, a home uh, inside of that, that transformation was I actually took the opportunity to, to stand back and observe uh, leaders above me and how they were reacting to, to change and, and how we were moving so quickly in, in addressing market needs. Um, and I actually remember that, you know, each of those steps incredibly well. Um, and, I, and I would you know, advise anybody who has the opportunity to work in a more startup type environment where you have more Series C type funding and above is, is an incredible place to, to learn because you can wear multiple hats. You can understand what you like. You can understand your, your strengths and, and the individuals who you work with around you are, are those people who have a growth mindset. They want to grow in their careers. They want to challenge themselves. They want to learn. And, and they're just the people who you want to be around. You can learn heaps, heaps from those types of people. You're right. You're absolutely right. And it seems quite a unique proposition to join one of those businesses and the return, as we can see with your career, um, you've, you know, you've gone, you've done in five, six years, perhaps what some people do in a career because of obviously your, you know, dedication, skill, talent, but also picking the right move at the right time. That's allowed you to pick up these, these skills that made you more rounded, um, individual and and it's you know if we to use a sports i think though if you were to join a club that you know didn't have a lot of first team players and they were chucking the youth team in and you managed to get some first team yeah. games and do really well mm-hmm. it's the same thing you know you could be playing way ahead of your years one thing that um i'd love to get your thoughts on and i find this a lot is that the very top if we talk about the top professionals in in the industry they tend to work for these businesses that go on to have these phenomenal IPOs or phenomenal phenomenal growth, how important is picking the right vendor and how conscious do you feel that top performers go and find the right vendor to work for? 
because of what they can gain from being part of that journey? Yeah, I think um, it really depends upon your your motivation, right? So I think there's there's obviously a lot of um, there's a lot of personal wealth that can be gained in a in a in an IPO and being part of that journey. So if that's if that's the motivation, then you're always taking a little bit of a gamble on what what horse to to back really. But if if that's your motivation, then you can you, know, you can do well. And I, I do find um, with a lot of my network. Um, that they're very good at doing that. So particularly on the, the the sales aspect, right? Because often there's there's pre-IPO, you've got you've got flexibility in in commercial offerings. Um, so you can you can you know shape a deal a little bit more effectively than that in the post-sales world. Um, depending upon the software, it can be more transactional, it can be quicker, it can be faster. So if you really like that environment, then you, you can be super successful in it. Um, from my perspective, um, there's, you know, I, I took the opportunity to learn in, in a lot of different roles when I could. Um, and um, for me, I, I, I thrive in that environment. I, I thrive building things, solving problems. Um, you know, I, I have no hesitation jumping into something that I have no idea about and, and, and figuring it out. And you can do, you can do a lot with that in, in a pre-IPO cycle. And once you do become public, um, it's, it's a different it's a different world, right? You, you've got to be able, there's certain regulations, certain policies that you've got to, to work with. Um, you're the face of the company, so you've, you've got to be able to say, do things in a, in a certain way that aligns with the corporate messaging, which is fine, right? Other, other people other people like that. And, and to be honest, that's, that's why I'm, I'm sticking with Alteryx. I think to be able to see a business go from 150 million, 650, and then from 650 to a billion, in your in your in your in your lifetime is uh, I've been told is is very rare. So for me to be part of that journey uh, and be able to see it, you know, after all tricks, whatever happens, I can hopefully go and help other businesses in those situations be able to to avoid any any pitfalls and be able to help those businesses scale. Um, and then maybe even a book, John Joe. We'll see. I look forward to that. Perhaps a forward for myself. <laughs> Um, so <laughs> Ultrix has obviously been a phenomenal journey and, um, you know, that's, that's been a, um, means for you to, you know, get ahead so quickly, you know, for back of a, for lack of a better term. So we know that, but at the same time, Ultrix also has, you know, a huge talent market to attract because of its brand in market. So you're against stiff competition. Um, you know, we know that mm-hmm. what's been, What's been the key to your successive promotions and and um, journey to where you are now? If you could, if you could boil it down, yeah. So, so find someone who does the role you want exceptionally well, be that inside or outside the business. Understand how they do it well, then look at the opportunities to develop those skills um, that you feel like they have. If you're younger in your career, do as many roles as possible. Um, when starting to gain different perspectives, you'll also gain different skills, but then gain different perspectives because a lot of progression relies on the influences around that position. So in sales engineering, I've got stakeholders in marketing, I've got stakeholders in legal, I've got stakeholders in deal desk, I've got sales leaders who, who influence that decision. So getting that perspective, building those relationships when you start 
is, is really, really key. And I'm not talking about years worth of experience, right? Uh, you know, if you look to my career, I've done a year here, a year there in, in different roles, but I've met those influencers around more of these strategic positions. And, and that's been that's been really key. Uh, and, then, and then get associated with, with projects that allow you to show the ability to drive results, which is a large part about these uh, more, more senior positions as well. Those will be the four, four for me. So it's about um, giving yourself opportunity to take a chance, um, putting your hand up for things and just getting stuck in. And then I imagine yep. um, people can do that, but then delivering on those projects is perhaps equally important. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say at, at my particular level, I've, I've got two jobs. One of those is to drive results. And then the other piece is to be able to develop and, and drive fellowship in, in the team that I have on that journey. Uh, results is a, particularly when you go public, results is a lot, a lot more paramount uh, and a lot more evident. Do you have a mentor? Yeah, I've got I've got a mentor. So um, that's actually my 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 previous manager, um, who's who's currently in a CCO position. I would class as, as a mentor and a friend, in which I bounce off a lot of ideas with. And I actually had the luxury when I was um, starting my leadership career to partner with um, building a business in EMEA with with somebody who had a lot of management experience, and we were very. Um, we were very good at bouncing off one another and uh, having alignment. And how's um, your introduction to leadership been? You've been doing it for a number of years now. What were your first impressions um, and what does it look like now for you? Yeah, so I, I'm, you know, I'm excited. Uh, I was, I was very excited to get the, uh, the the opportunity to go into leadership, and uh, you know, I love responsibility. I love accountability. Um, I also very much like helping people and uh, in this role, that's something I can definitely do. Um, I think some of the, the challenges in this in going into leadership to start off with was the fact that when we're in a hyper growth company, um, you have to pivot constantly, uh, essentially quarter on quarter. So being able to manage that change and expectations with, with um, a wide range of personalities is, is interesting. And, and I was also managing people who had been managers for 20 years so uh that that was a, a unique challenge where you have to build their trust and credibility and initially i was like you know i I've, I've got to do everything exactly like the book right exactly like the book told me or all of these podcasts told me but really the the key to it was just um being empathetic with these people get, getting to to know them better um and actually asking them for advice so saying, okay, I'm, I'm leading you. I know I'm new, right? So I would really appreciate it if you could help me through this journey based on your experience. And as a result, that built a far stronger bond, um, a lot more respect from one another. Um, and as a result, I was able to, to really just create an environment for them to be successful. You know, that, that same saying, if you don't teach Ronaldo and Messi to play football, right? Yeah, that's the same thing with these individuals had a lot more experience than me. My job was just to be able to get an environment in which they could be super successful. Uh, and, that, and that was sort of a, a great learning for me. It's a very mature outlook to have in your early days of leadership because um, often can be the case when, you know, you, you're um, pushed into leadership 
despite your years, often, and you are managing people who've got more experience, I think there can be um, often, you know, a kind of a people feel a need to go in and the ego can be quite large and you feel the need to have an authoritarian type approach, um, you know, to show who's boss as such. So the fact that you said you, you know, you took a, a bit of a backward step, you know, and use some wisdom from wherever you found it to um, democratize that, that team from a leadership perspective, I think it's really interesting. Um, and it's obviously, you know, paid dividends for you. Did you feel yeah. the need to be yeah. the best whilst the, the leadership you democratized, did you feel that you needed to be the best pre-sales person from a technical perspective um, or delivery perspective? Yeah. That was probably one of the first bits of advice I got from my mentor was you can no longer be the best if you want to lead a team. Okay. And you know, I, I, I took that to heart and I'm more than happy to let, I, I get most enjoyment from seeing other people succeed, right? I would, I would far rather, uh, you know, my, uh, rather than spend money on a car, for example, I'd far rather try and give it to a friend who's trying to get a mortgage or something. Uh, this would give me far more intrinsic motivation. So I think, uh, thankfully, I got that advice, and thankfully, I'm, I'm built in a way that's fine with putting that to the side. And in in leadership, if your team succeeds, you generally get those backhanded compliments, right? And you take that home, and you know that those people are succeeding. And you know, I can I, I'm I'm perfectly at ease with that, and I get most of my enjoyment of seeing my my team succeed. So I say, thankfully, that one was a, an easy one for me, but I. You know, I, I have seen the case of where you turn a, a top performer into a leader and it doesn't quite work out because they can't, they, you know, they're also not built for that. They don't get their energy from seeing other people succeed. They, they want that themselves. And um, that's, uh, I think, you, you know, that relatively quickly in yourself. And I think you've got to, you've got to be honest and, and just say, look, this, if I can't, you know, usually it's like vertically upwards or I'm going to go across to leadership to be able to pr pr progress inside of a, an organization. Um, and, I, and I say to my, my teams, there's, there's really three types of progression inside of a company. You can be an adventure seeker, so you can go and try a lot of different roles and understand what works. You can be a deep sea diver, so you can go directly into a particular role and go deeper and deeper and deeper. Or you can be a, um, a climber. And that's just where you might take the, the leadership route and, and, and progress upwards. But um, yeah, I think think for me, I was more than more than happy to be able to see the team team succeed. And um, the, the best performer piece really just helps from credibility perspectives. Uh, so that so that was intrinsic. You didn't need to coach yourself to come around to a new way of thinking because yeah. you are a competitor. You know, you come from an environment which is yeah. very high performance. I remember, you know, preseason days, you were one of the best out there and you, you could compete. So where do you find your, what goals drive that competitive nature within yourself? Cause it's must still be there though. You like to see other people yeah. win. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think if I, if I, if I look at a large part about how, how sports influenced me, right. Is that I, I have a lot of self-belief, right um but not to the point i just you know there's probably the borderline arrogance at certain instances but i've got a lot of self-belief and i think that's where my competitiveness comes through because you know if i if i know i if i'm told i can't do something you know i will go and and do it right i'll i'll prove people wrong and that's what drives me in in each of these positions right because 
if you look at my career or my background or my age or whatever, right, all these maybe subconscious biases that people may have, um, it, it's always, well, you know, he hasn't got that experience. We can't quite do it. And uh, and I, I've had to, thankfully, Alteryx has been very supportive, um, but I, I generally think that's because of the influence that I've had around me and that I've been able to just demonstrate core competencies that are required for those roles. But I think the, the self-belief drives a lot of that competitiveness in me because I want to prove that I can I can do that role and I want to prove people that I can do it well. And thankfully, I've been able to, to do that at each of the steps that I've had. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll keep doing that to, to drive me. How do you define success? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I listen to the, the, the high performance podcast all the time and they always say, okay, what's high performance? And I always think, okay, I got to nail this answer. Yeah. Um, but I think for, for me, success is where I can see other people get to whatever goal that they want to uh, achieve. So, you know, I had um, two inside sales engineers in, in Europe that I brought from a building site in Liverpool, right? So they were both laying carpet um, and they, you know, doing an interview when they were laying the carpet and um, I brought them over as an insider see, and they said, okay, you know, I, I just want to be able to figure out what I'd like to do as a, as a career. Um, you know, I'm customer facing all of these pieces. And I was like, right, well, you know, I'm going to make that happen for you. Whatever, whatever you decide to do, I'm going to push. And for me, that when I, when I see other people get to the goal or, you know, get to whatever outcome that they want, be it financial security, be it a particular position, that's success. That's success for me at, at this moment in time. And, and obviously, when I was an individual contributor, it was the, it was the equivalent. So I had a goal of getting to this position. I would hit this position. But um, as I've, as I've graduated in my career, it's it's now less about reaching that position like CCO. It's more about um, making sure that I'm in an environment where I'm learning. And, and a lot about the, the pivot to this particular role was that. So, um, yeah, I'd say success is, a, for me, a, a lot about seeing other people succeed. But in my particular case, it's also about learning. If I'm doing that, I'm succeeding, right? I'm, I'm gaining knowledge uh, and I, I can be rich that way. So that's that's how I class success. Great. How do you quantify that from um, a life perspective or a philosophical perspective? Yeah, um, I, I think uh, I think a lot of the the, this, the, this, the the fact that I can leave work at work and then I can go to my personal life and continue. Right, I, I'm sure a lot of people may be able to resonate in that when you go and have a family conversation or you have a conversation with your partner or whatever you might hold the conversation like a work meeting. Uh, so, so, you know, what we kick, what's the agenda, you know, what, what we get, what's the next steps here. Right. Um, and I think uh, the, uh, again, as I've, as I've got older, I've, I've understood that there's, there's, um, you know, the, the psychology of um, people uh, in, in getting them to, to motivate them to understand how they, they tick um, to understand um, what their um, passions are and what their strengths are. I've taken a lot of that into my life out, out, outside of work and, and try and apply that in everything I do. And, and particularly the ability to work in the US, then work in EMEA and then work in APJ. Um, I've got a far greater appreciation of, of the, the cultural diversity, the way that people work, the way that people think. 
Uh, and um, as a result, I take a lot of those learnings into, into what I do on a, a day-to-day basis. And that's come over time. Then it, it sounds like your, your outlook has become more internally, more intrinsically focused than external, externally or yeah. extrinsically. Is that, you know, time served, do you reckon, wisdom? on the job yeah for sure i mean um i don't i don't you know i don't i think the extrinsic bit will come if i uh, do the intrinsic bits well so I, I i follow my i follow my gut a lot um if i treat people well um i you know and because we, we hire good people i try to hire good people and um as a result if i just create that environment i can make them successful the business will be successful that's what I've learned. So I think if I can if I can do those pieces, then the extrinsic bits will will have a knock on effect and come. I've, I've come. Yeah, got it. Yeah, I like that idea, and I think I think that's particularly important in your in your game, considering the you know the the high stress, high demand, high pressure that that you face. It's quite easy to chase the next quarter or chase the next paycheck, which which are all well and good, um, great, yeah. but. You know, it, it seemingly, if you're able to transcend that, which it sounds like you can from a day to day, and then sit outside of that day to day experience and realize that, you know, it's an intrinsic thing that you're looking for, which is if you're learning each day and you're helping somebody, you're happy. I imagine you're, you're kind of proofing yourself for less stress, um, you know, and better health over the course of your lifetime. Was that, was that a conscious decision? Have you ever, have you ever thought about how stress affects your health? Yeah, um, I mean, quite a bit. Luckily, I've um, when you, I think when you know, in, in the early stages when I had a lot of friends, friends around me, it was uh, it was a little bit easier to be able to take myself away from work. But obviously, moving to new countries like the US and and then going to to Asia, um, you don't have that friend network around you necessarily to say, "Hey, George, it's uh, you know six thirty in the evening. You should." You should stop working. Um, you should you should go and, and and take some time off. But I think the um, the the stress piece definitely comes in waves. But really, my job is to not live in the present. It's to try and live, you know, a couple of quarters out. Right, I'm, I'm already planning for like the first half and the second half of next year. So if I if I get dragged into the to the now, um, it becomes a lot more uh, a lot more stressful. Lose focus on where we're trying to go. Um, so I, I think that helps a lot with the the, the stress as well um, um, in terms of being able to uh, manage it and, and be able to be confident in where we're going. If we get a speed bump here, don't worry. It's you know it's going to be in six months. It's going to be resolved by by this particular process or, or the people aspect that we're putting in place. Do you have a daily routine? Yeah, so I, I try and go for a podcast and a walk in the morning. Um, and then usually because of time zones in the global role, it's, it's, it's an APJ conversations and uh, then a mirror in the afternoon in the US. And I think that the number one rule for me is that, uh, you know, always make time for the team. Um, so in, in typically in these positions, the, the illusion is from um, my individual contributors on the ground, my, my customer success managers and sales engineers is that ah, Jordan's too busy, you have enough time for us. My, my number one rule in my daily routine is to make time for the team every single day so they know that they can reach out to me and, ha- and have a conversation and i think that's where a, a lot of the relationships are, are formed because they they know that they can i can reach out but um i'd say that yeah you, usually it's to do with a, a walk in the morning with a podcast think about the day ahead 
speak to my APJ colleagues, my EMEA colleagues, and then the US throughout the day and just make sure that there's time to speak to speak to the, the team to understand what's going on on the ground. And then there's the, the strategic bits and pieces on top. You mentioned the, the team, um, which is, you know, hugely important and, you know, privy to your, sorry, you know, determines your success. What do you look for when you're hiring? Yeah, so 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 I I really look at four key competencies when I speak to to sales engineers, and you know there's a lot of transferable stuff to customer success as well. But there's as a sales engineer, your first and foremost is is technical. That that's where you you make your home. Now that can be understanding the technology that you you sell or the, the software, the hardware, whatever it might be, um, very well. But then it needs to quickly translate to the landscape in which you're working with. So complementary technologies, competitor technologies that sit inside of that. And then also understanding the technologies, uh, the different stakeholders, sorry, that sit inside of technologies that might be IT, might be technology teams, it might be the CDO. So this pillar here is, I call it technical excellence. The next bit is, is the people excellence piece. So this is somebody who um, can execute, has shown evidence of, of driving results or, or action in, in their past life. Um, it's about having consistency and, and respect for what they do, like they, they, they enjoy what they do. Uh, and then obviously, we, you know, the, the soft skill aspect as well. So it's being able to build a relationship um, with me across an interview um, is, is a really key, key part of it. And the, the third piece is commercial excellence. Particularly in sales engineering, I do think the um, ones that that tend to uh, thrive in this particular role are those ones that are commercially savvy. So they have or could do um, an account executive role. So they could be left in a room with procurement and, and be able to close out that deal because they understand the sequence so well. Because then they, they could very much reverse engineer that and, and partner with a, an account executive or, or a seller in a, in a pre-sales motion effectively well by marrying that technical nous with what the um your business outcome would would like to be but hopefully you're returning the investment on the customer side as well and then the final piece is the situational excellence so this might be having a, a subject matter expertise in um, a particular domain like data science machine learning artificial intelligence um or it may have a, an industry where you know a role particularly well or a department um, so for me, those would be four key competencies that I would look for. And I would obviously weight technical and then the people and then the commercial and the situational differently based on the, the stage of business that we're at here at Alteryx. Um, but it would look different through there. But those would be the four key competencies that I would look for. And is that quite quantitative? Do you use a scorecard for that, for those um, four pillars or do they just guide your gut, gut feeling? Um, internally, we do we do have a way of looking at that. I use, I use sort of a, a, a graph that allows us to sort of plot maturity um, across the board. Um, but again, this technical people, commercial and situational, has really come out of my learnings of sales engineering throughout my my leadership career, and I use this as a, a as a development framework for the team to be able to match the skill set required in business. Right, so. For the last six years at Alteryx, we've been very transactional focused, land and expand motion. Uh, and, and as a result, you need to understand product very, very well because you're talking about it all the time. When you move to more of an enterprise motion and you're going deeper inside of accounts, those people and situational skills 
really get amplified because again you're you're focusing more on solutions more on value and as a result you need to be an expert in that role domain or industry when you're partnering with it with a counterpart inside of an enterprise to to drive that particular particular outcome so uh, we we yeah we we have frameworks we have, we have skills matrix in which we can monitor it but it's just been a great way of gauging um the balance in the team of, of what we need to be successful recruitment in itself um is still to a large end quite good based right firing managers is still hard decisions that need to be made under you know under time pressure often and you do have um you know certain metrics there that are going to aid that decision but it sounds like there's still but I know there's still a lot of intuition that goes into those decisions. What's your um, yeah, take? especially in sales engineering, customer success, which which you can't really you can't always affect the environment or the deal right. that comes across your desk. So that there's always and there's always going to be an element of a conversation mm. that that needs to happen. Um, and, and the way that I, I manage that um, aspect of it is we, we, we document what good or best practice looks like when engaging in particular situations. So that's not a, a rigor or a checklist. It's a, just a framework of best practice. So you can choose to adopt it. You can choose to add back into it. But that is our baseline. It's our baseline for performance. So if you're not doing those things and the results aren't coming in, then there's a there's a conversation to be had as to why that is the case. Um, so there's there's always the balance between the two. Um, but I think setting setting an expectation as what good is is really important. Got it as a baseline. What about talent acquisition? How far away do you feel we are from using data at large to predict who's going to be a good performer in a team and acting on that data at the hiring stage because I, I think I read more recently that the and you know of course this is your game that the tools are ready but we don't have the the data sets or the the amount of data to make those kind of predictions so what's your take on on talent and data Yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm in the advanced analytics space. I'm, I'm around machine learning and artificial intelligence, and I, I I do think that there's there's the ability to be able to get you a certain percentage of the way, uh, and and that may be able to uh, remove uh, uh, remove a core or a large group of people to a core. And um, I just have to stress the fact though that the, these things are built off data, right? And and the quality uh, and the the bias in that data is um, you know, hugely important. We're going to get caught out. We already have got caught out, right? Uh, I, I've seen, um, I read a while ago of like the, you know, the hand dryers that you get. It's not the same as recruitment, but the, you know, the models and artificial intelligence, those pieces, it, it was built with, you know, um, white hands as the, the trial, right? So, so when you have ethnic um, groups use the hand dryers, the, the, the artificial intelligence can't pick it up. So it doesn't even come on, right? I mean, it's not, and then you can translate that to different industries. But if you take that from a recruitment standpoint, you can quickly move in the direction of um, profiling, right? Quite, quite easily and a lot of bias in, inside of these positions. So I do think the, the data piece and, and making sure that it is fair, it is equitable, is, is really, really important before you go down that route in, in recruitment of, of being able to um, being able to uh, make sure that it is it is fair. Um, mm. 
So I'm not sure if that answers your question. But I just like does, to, I think that's yeah, really, does, really important does, to understand. Absolutely. I mean, and interviews um, and hiring is, you know, is um, is bias ridden already because humans are, um, you know, biased by unconsciously, <laughs> right? So, you know, it's, it's much for much as perhaps. Um, but yeah, but what I was what I was interested in is the actual sourcing perspective, whether a machine would be able to go and use big data to go and find a list of candidates that meet what your exact yeah. performers looked like. Let's say you de- you define what good performance has looked like over the past five years of your team. Can big data go and find 50 candidates in London that suit that profile? Yeah, I think it's definitely, definitely possible to be able to narrow down the pool. There's always going to be people, people missing, but that might be because of the um, savviness around their their resume and their their LinkedIn uh, in terms of being able to what's the the right words to include, um, what's the terminology, the tailoring of their own their own resumes, and I think with maybe with the generation coming through a lot more savviness around um, how data works, how companies use data. Um, the, the, there's obviously going to be a greater appreciation for making sure that you reflect um, or, or try and influence the um, influence the uh, algorithms that are being used to be able to um, identify your profile. So I think, yeah, definitely, definitely <clears throat> can be used. It can be very helpful sure. um, and it can save a lot of time. Um, you just need to be making sure that it's not filtering out diverse talent like mm. those two builders in Liverpool <laughs> that right. have a great skill set to uh, to to thrive in a, in a career like sales engineering. That's a great great success story. Um, we're nearing the end, so we do have a quick fire round that I'd love to um, get through with you, Jordan. I'm conscious of your time, so uh, quick fire round. Number one is. What piece of technology can't you live without? It'd be simple. I just use iTunes podcast. So iTunes podcast. Yeah. Okay. This, uh, this podcast will hopefully be available on iTunes. It's Spotify native at the moment, but um, we can work on that. Um, what kind of podcast are you into? I imagine. Spotify, iTunes, it's all the yeah. same, John Joe. Okay. <laughs> We've got no uh, sponsors here just yet anyway, so we were clear from that perspective. <laughs> what kind of um, podcasts uh, you listen to? Any shout outs to what you listen to at the minute? Yeah, so I I, I, uh, I geek out in the pre-sales collective. Um, that's really, really good for, for sales engineering professionals. I'd highly recommend getting involved with that. It's created by two guys who, who came from Salesforce. Um, super successful, really good opportunity to network. Um, there's also one on the customer success side called um, Gain, Grow, Retain. Right. That's really good. Uh, and then I've mentioned before, I, I tend to uh, listen to the high performance podcast as well from more of a, a motivational perspective. Yeah, I like that one too. Have you listened to um, the Huberman, Huberman Lab? Lab? You listen to that one? No. Really? No, I'll write that so, one down. Yeah, really. Uh, the chap is a neuro, a neuroscientist professor at Stanford University and um, just very much tips for high performance from a scientific perspective, how you work through your day, when your key focus periods are throughout the day, when to get up, when to eat, just a, a whole um, guide to. It's fascinating. Um, so we've got through what you're listening to. Is, is 
podcast typically your way of yeah, you prefer it to read in? Um, I, do, I do read as well. Um, yeah, I do, do read as well on, on some of the flights um, that I have to take. And, and one of the books that I really, really enjoy that's that's helped me out, particularly progressing through various different roles is Never Split the Difference. Um, that's really helped from a negotiation point of view, um, particularly when you're early in your career and you don't understand how to really articulate the, the impact or the value that you can provide an organization. This is a, a really good way of, of doing it internally. And I actually used it to negotiate my, my latest rent contract as well. And it, and nice. it worked really well. That's a great <laughs> I shot. Recommend I recommend that, that work and outside. Never split the, dis- the difference is a title. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Fantastic. We'll get on that one. And best advice you've ever been given? Yeah. So I, I think from my perspective, it's uh, life is hard. Uh, life is hard. Uh, life is harder more when you're stupid. Um, so I, I it's, it's got a funny twist to it, but I, I also just think uh, it resonates with me. So I think just work hard um, and um, try not to be stupid by understanding different people's perspectives. Fantastic. And how, um, how, as last question, how much has uh, sport um, played a part in just your success in your career today? Yeah, look, sport's been sport's been integral uh, for me. Right, growing up around teams and, and, and working um, working in that environment, um, you know, in in the professional ranks where you do have to be competitive um, and and find find yourself quickly in terms of your unique values um, was was uh, you know, a, a great experience. And then being part of, of university teams um, and, and being able to be a coach mentor to people who are coming through. Um, was again uh, a really good opportunity, uh, and then at, at Boston, um, going there and um, working with the coaches on on tactics and becoming captain uh, of, of various teams that I've been in, a part of really really baked in a lot of those leadership philosophies that I, I use today. So it's been been hugely important. It's also a great way of me de-stressing as well. So it has the the other effect too. Fantastic. Jordan, it's been an absolute pleasure understanding your tenants. You're a, you're a real role model, um, certainly a high performer. So uh, we thank you for sharing it with us. For those young uh, or necessarily junior or people aspiring to um, get into the industry, you know, become salespeople, pre-sales, customer success, um, professionals in, in the technology world, and they want to gain some, some of your um, wisdom, where can they look out from, for content or um you know, thought leadership from yourself, LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn would be the best for me. So if, if anybody listens to this and, and wants to go ahead and reach out to me, they can do that through LinkedIn, no problem. Fantastic. Jordan, thank you very much again for your time. Thanks, John Joe, appreciate it.